Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this is The Gateway. It's Thursday, July 9th. I'm Wayne Pratt. A federal court has banned three popular dicamba herbicides, and more restrictions could follow. When you get the USDA, EPA, and then lawyers involved, you know you're in for a long, confusing, changing situation. Some farmers say herbicide options were already limited. We'll have more on the dicamba debate in just a few minutes. The ability of city workers to live outside the boundaries of St. Louis is almost in the hands of voters. St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman has more on an action by the St. Louis Board of Aldermen. Right now, almost every city employee has to live in the city. The proposed charter change makes it so everyone except elected officials and mayoral appointees can live where they choose. Supporters like 14th Ward Democrat Carol Howard say lifting the requirement will make it easier for the city to hire for entry-level jobs. We're out there trying to offer 35000 a beginning entry-level job, and ask people to move. It's it's folly. Opponents say there are plenty of city residents who are interested in the jobs but get caught in a Byzantine hiring process. Mayor Lida Krusen will sign the bill. She has backed the change as a way to boost hiring in the police department. It will take a 60 percent vote in November to lift the residency requirement. I'm Rachel Lippman, St. Louis Public Radio. President Donald Trump wants schools open this fall, and he is putting pressure on states with Republican governors, including Missouri. State Education Commissioner Margie Van Dieven says it will be up to local school boards to decide how to bring students back safely. As, you know, local control state, we don't go into classrooms. I can't with great certainty tell you that I'll be able to tell you every day what's happening in every one of these plans. The Missouri State Board of Education this week gave schools permission to have class every other day to slow the spread of coronavirus. It is unclear whether President Trump would consider that fully reopening schools. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker is calling for a national strategy to slow the spread of coronavirus. The Democrat testified yesterday before Congress. Tony Arnold reports. Pritzker wants a national mandate that everyone cover their faces in public. He also did not hold back in criticizing the president for failing to coordinate how states gathered protective equipment for frontline workers. In the midst of a global pandemic, states were forced to play some sort of sick Hunger Games game show to save the lives of our people. Let me be clear, this is not a reality TV show. Pritzker also called for federal funding to help states and local governments avoid laying off essential workers and for the federal government to clarify whether coronavirus testing is covered by insurance. I'm Tony Arnold. A retired businessman is making his second bid for St. Louis County Executive. Mark Madovani is one of four Democrats running for the powerful post. He narrowly lost in 2018 to St. Louis County Executive Steve Stenger, who resigned last year amid corruption charges. If elected this time around, Madovati says he would try to attract major businesses to the region and foster a better working relationship with the city of St. Louis and suburban mayors. St. Louis lacks the strength to be divided as we are. Our only hope to change the future of this community is for us to elect somebody who builds bridges. You can listen to all four Democratic candidates for St. Louis County Executive on our Politically Speaking podcast throughout the week on the website, 
stlpublicradio.org. A federal court in California recently banned three popular dicamba herbicides. The ruling is a big win for several environmental groups, while many farm organizations are criticizing the decision, which comes in the middle of spraying season. But as Harvest Public Media's Christina Stella reports, the ruling also raises questions about the future of herbicide use in the U.S. Tracy Zipp says the timing couldn't have been worse. She was in the middle of spraying her fields in southwest Nebraska. It's just very frustrating. It's like, here's this great tool that you have, but you can't use it. Or or you can use it, but hurry up and get it in because we might change our minds. Zip uses dicamba products extensively to protect her fields from weeds. At first, she didn't know what to make of the decision, and neither did state agriculture departments. She received several emails from organizations in Kansas, Colorado, and Nebraska, all with conflicting guidance. Quite honestly, when you get the USDA, the EPA, and then lawyers involved, you know you're in for a long, confusing, changing situation. The EPA eventually clarified producers could use what they'd already purchased through the end of July, which helped Zip dodge a potential disaster. Without dicamba, Zip says she would have had to pull thousands of acres of weeds by hand. They produce like 5 million seeds per plant. You can't let them grow in your field. So you have to walk in, chop them, carry them back out of the field, and burn them. The ruling doesn't affect all herbicides with dicamba. But it could eventually lead to more restrictions. Plaintiffs argued the EPA didn't address the risks the chemicals posed to the environment when approving them for use. The court agreed. But to the surprise of Bridget Rollins at the National Agricultural Law Center, judges also took social and economic risks into account. They said for the economic reasons that Monsanto had created a near monopoly of dicamba-resistant traits. And then when they were talking about the social aspect that EPA should have considered that, quote, Dicamba had torn apart the fabric of farming communities. And those opinions could show up in another case being considered in the federal Ninth Circuit Court in California against Enlist Duo, which many farmers use on their corn and soybeans. Even though these are different judges, a different panel, we could see them pulling from this now, this case that could set precedent, particularly if any of the parties really bring this case up and try to use it as precedent before the court. More herbicides could face legal challenges in the coming years, but they were once part of a golden era of U.S. agriculture. In the decades following World War II, pesticide and herbicide development flourished in the U.S., as described in this 1950s video from the Department of Agriculture. And what's behind the label? Many years of work, great sums of money, and the combined genius of field researchers, chemists, scientists in private industry and in the government working together as a team in behalf of the farmer and all the people. Dozens of chemicals hit the market, promising farmers more control over their crops, bigger yields, and more profit. We've been spoiled that the industry has, for the past 70 years, introduced new herbicides when the older herbicides faltered. Bob Hartzler is a weed specialist at Iowa State University. Over the past few decades, hundreds of weed species worldwide have developed immunity to herbicides. He says rulings like this limit farmers' already dwindling choices. There have been no new classes of herbicides, and so we're fairly rapidly knocking out most of those with herbicide resistance. So so we're running out of options. It's just like the struggle with antibiotics. They're not easy to come up with. 
In Australia, herbicide resistance has forced farmers to try new strategies, like weed seed harvesting. That's where farmers attach grinders to their combines that collect or destroy the seeds. Basically what it does is reduce the rate that the weeds adapt to the herbicide. But stateside, Hartzler thinks the changes will be a hard sell. Farmers are not going to like it because it costs money. There's potential it will slow down harvest. But pretty soon, I think we're going to be in a position where we don't have an alternative to that. While farmers like Tracy Zip get some reprieve this year, soon they'll have to bet on their herbicides for next year. Christina Sella, Harvest Public Media. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio, music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. Shayla Farzan will be behind this microphone tomorrow. Sarah Fenton will handle podcast duties on Monday. I'm Wayne Pratt. From the St. Louis Public Radio newsroom, this has been The Gateway. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.